Hey guys, what's up? Before we start Cinematics episode 176, I have an interview with Crew Boylan. She is the screenwriter and lead actress for this movie called Seriously Red. If you were if you were a Dolly Parton fan, you love her music and her work, and Dolly's a person, you're gonna enjoy Seriously Red. Also, the movie has some it's a really good story. It centers on Red, played by Crew Boylan, and she's a real estate agent, frustrated one that is, and she decides to leave her job and become a Dolly Parton impersonator and follow her dreams. And the whole rest of the movie, it's it's a comedy. It, it follows her journey into becoming and succeeding and failing and maybe both at the same time as a aforementioned Dolly Parton impersonator. I really enjoyed this movie because it seems like an innocuous comedy, but there's a lot of different layers involved into it. There's a little bit of a subtle dramatic element to Seriously Red that I glommed on to, that I attached myself too. Red has a best friend at work, and it's a it's a very it's a platonic relationship, but they've been friends for quite a while. And I really loved how that relationship played out with Seriously Red. It struck a personal chord for me because my best friend uh, Deandra, whom you might have heard a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about the whale. She's my my closest friend, and we have that kind of relationship. So I immediately attach myself to the movie. Attachments aside, the movie works as pure entertainment. I really love the color pops of the director, Gracie Otto. I like the visual design of the film. Also, Rose Byrne, if you're a fan of her, she plays an Elvis impersonator in the film. And Bobby Cannavale, he plays a booking agent who is also passionate about the works of Neil Diamond. So really enjoyed Seriously Red, as well as enjoyed my interview with Crew Boylan, she talks about, well, I asked her about the about becoming a screenwriter. This was her first screenwriting venture, big full feature screenwriting venture. And I talked to her, to her about the challenges of that. She also has some really emotional moments in the movie. And I asked her about the challenges of performing as an actress in those scenes. And she also discusses writing the script in New York while she was living in New York and what it's like now to live in Australia. So, and she also has a production company with she, Gracie Otto, and co-star Rose Byrne, and a couple of other people. They have this thing called Dollhouse Pictures. The couple of other people are, let me look right now, is Shannon Murphy and Jessica Carrera. So I'll give you a link on Dollhouse Pictures as well, so you can read more about their movie studio production company, their content creation company, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so Crew Boylan first, and then after that, episode 176 of Cinematics, the timestamps are featured in the show notes. So you can scrub your finger to whatever, wherever, whenever 176 starts, or just go to the timestamps and just press on the respective times. All right. Thank you guys so much for supporting us, all four of us here on Cinematics. Eric Holmes has been hard at work at our Cinematics merch store. I will leave a link to that. Some really cool hoodies and shirts, glassware, shower curtains. That's an old inside joke from about a year and a half ago. So you don't have to order a shower curtain. If you want, you can just go on to the Teespring link and look at what a cinematic shower curtain would be like. Most importantly, I hope you see some of the movies that are spotlighted on this episode. Take care, guys. Seriously Red hits PVOD and theaters on Friday, February 10th. As far as February 10th, there's going to be other movies other than Seriously Red that will also be available for your eyes this weekend and you're going to learn more about them on cinematics take care i'm gonna to have to meet you in there i've only just finished my last valuation you know you've got to dress up i know well who are you coming at it's 
the Office Clown Award goes to Rayleigh Red Delaney. And I stumble to the kitchen. You don't really fit in, in any office, Fred. You're a mess. Yawn and stretch and try to come to life. You're fired. You can't fire me because I quit. You got fired and quit. But in the same day, well, that's new. What are you going to do? How long have you been performing Dolly? No, tonight was just an unfortunate mistake. We're casting for a new Dolly at the moment. Let's see what you're made of. She's bright, she's bubbly. <laughs> Nipples to the sky. Oh, wow. Makeup's a little extra. Thank you very much. You strike me as someone who doesn't stick to things. This is where I belong. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Baby, I'm burning out of control. Yeah, you're weird enough. I'll give you that. So I'm going to throw you a bone. Show me what you're made of. <laughs> Not too bad. on some wild sequined goose chase that isn't going to end well. Farting. I'm farting too, constantly. What? I said starting. Oh, God. Mum, I'm not an idiot, and it will end well if it kills me. Dolly, I'm dead. <laughs> what happened? It's fine. Hang it's on. not fine. It's you fine. look crazy, okay. but just get it together, okay? okay? okay. Be Dolly. Working down to Thank you very much about that. Thank you very much. Dolly Parton here. Thank you very much. Has he left the building yet? Crew, first off, I, I just, on a on a basic level, how does one, in general, start a, their own movie studio or production company as far as this collective? I think it's really interesting what you guys are putting out and pretty much the mission statement behind what you're, what you're doing with Dollhouse. Can you just, just talk about that? And how does one go about it, I guess? Well, you, you make sure you surround yourself by, with some great collaborators. And that's really how we started. We had this film. We've known each other for years and we were all passing the script around and talking about it. And it started years ago. Um, Jessica Carrera, our lead producer on the film and um, a co-founder of Dollhouse Pictures said, hey, let's just, we're stronger together. Let's start a production company we all um, have 20 years each experience in the business. Let's come together and start s- telling some stories that we're interested in. And and actually we'd had um, uh, – there'd been a, an American actress that came out to Australia um, to talk about women in film. Um, she was in League of uh, – Thelma and Louise. Um, Thelma and Louise. Susan Sarandon, Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Yes. Gina Davis, she was out talking about the statistics with Disney and Disney female-driven stories, and it was part of a whole um, women in film and women in media um, discussion. And we had only just started our production company, but it was it was great. It was I mean, this is about eight, eight years ago, and I, I think so. Yeah, we're, we're we've all got different strengths, and we all have. Um, a similar ethos in terms of what we want to, what we want to achieve and what we want to kind of deliver and what we want to, the kind of products we want to make, not yes, out of Australia, but not necessarily, you know, we're very much have a global headspace. So that's where we're at. 
I really love one of the themes of your film, and I'm not going to say who said it, but it's, and I'm paraphrasing. Can you speak to the fact is when you're writing the script, the idea of with everything that one person is doing in their respective life, who's busy being you? Can you just talk about that element, which I thought was very resonant? And did you know that was going to be a theme when you were writing it, or did you mature into that story? Yeah, identity is such a strong theme in the film. Um, and it was, it probably wasn't something I was consciously thinking about when I first started writing it. My conscious thought was, what is success and why do I want it? And why do I, why do I, not feel why why don't I feel like I've got it at the moment and what does success look like to me to me so very quickly I realized success to me looks like Dolly Parton and then throughout figuring out trying to figure out what that is identity became such a strong theme um, of the film and the idea of living as someone else does sound quite living as Dolly Parton sounds quite um, theatrical However, when you break it down, it's actually not. It is very much in society. We're all living under a guise of a filter all five. And um and how how do you choose to how do you choose to be and how do you how do you decipher who you are when you're, you know, in, in today's world? So yeah, it is um I, I it's like one of the oh I'm getting emotional. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, it's definitely, I'm really getting emotional <laughs> talking about it, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's something that I think we all lose so quickly in, in, you know, into, especially being an actress and a writer and you kind of do, you, you, you struggle to try and figure out who you are and who you, how you fit in and how you're getting cast. And so <laughs> I'm well you know, oil. I'm not going to make. Well I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to make these questions any easier because I was. I'm, I'm gonna, I was going to ask you the question you've been getting asked like the last months about what was it like to meet Dolly Parton, but I kind of want to go in. A, <laughs> I kind of want to go in a different direction because my best friend, um, I've known him for 13 years, and there's an unconditional, platonic, pure love that we share. And oh, can yeah. you just talk about Red and Francis and? I, I don't want to give too much away. I just loved how pure that was. I could see a movie with both of you for hours on end. It was beautiful. Just talk about that relationship. And I'm going to get to Dolly, but I really, I feel like that's really the heart and soul of your film. Yeah. Thank you for talking about that. I love those two characters because um, I too have such strong relationships, not only with my dad, but like with a lot of other men who are gay and straight and it's not something I see enough in films and and I've so often got pushed to make it a really strong gay character. And I was like, why? Why? Do, why? That's, that's not why. Can't we have someone who's not necessarily a, a gay man or, you know, I was like, it's not about sex. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about a friendship and about um, a deep love for each other and, I love that, but I love finding those nuances and I love, I love, yeah, I love seeing those relationships unfold and, and you're right. It could be, it's almost, the, it's almost like the next film would be great to see how they, how they evolve and how they um, work out. But um, yeah, I really, I really loved Francis and I've got such great sensitive men in my life that I was like, I, I want to see more of that. 
we don't need any more. There's heaps of Marvel. We don't need any more macho. That's cool, but we don't need any more of that. Can we talk to all the other people who aren't superheroes, um, men who are, like, neat and tidy but who are sensitive and more new-aged and nuanced and who do show all those different sides? So I love that character. Okay, so my superficial question, which you've been getting, and I apologize for it, is getting that chance to finally meet Dolly Parton, who was a big inspiration for your script. What must must have been a surreal experience for you that moment? It was, you know, I I thought when I would meet her, I would be like very much more, <laughs> you know, my stupid, impulsive, annoying self. But I was very much in my boots. I was very cool, even though Dolly's manager Danny Nozell has been instrumental in helping us with uh, with Dolly's music and he texted Jess Carrera, our lead producer, and said, see you in 20 minutes. And I was going, I'm in my wet swimming costume. I'm on the bed. I'm in my wet cosy. I was planning on like being really dolled up and beautiful if we had the chance to meet her because it wasn't confirmed. Anyway, we th- I threw on an outfit. We're in an Uber. We're in Austin, Texas. We arrived to – um backstage she was going to do a concert and um and then we just walked in and there she was this tiny little beautiful little pocket rocket and um and she was like you're really beautiful you're you're it's like oh thanks so are you (laughs) and she was she was as kind and as humble and as normal as I had dreamed she really was she was giving and I thought sometimes when you're meeting someone as famous as that, you they're not you, you just don't know how it's I guess how it's going to unfold and how what the energy levels are going to be like. But we were in very much the same kind of energy space. So she was just um, she was like, "I see you, I can see you," and I sort of started to cry and went, "I think I can I can see you." too like yeah it was just beautiful and I, I was crying and I was like thank you for letting me share my story through your stories and she was like are you crying angel are you crying and she wiped away my tears and we just we had like another a good 30 minute chat about the film about life and about success and she was just so cute um and so humble and um yeah wow. like that's amazing speaking of um dream uh, you know there's a couple of things that you achieve in this movie that I, i'm very fearful of personally there is the fact that I, the idea of writing your own screenplay because there's that mythic fear of writing is a very solitary business and it can leave you a little bit wanting for companionship that's my number one and my number two is the fact that i'm not an actor but can you is was it like second half to perform islands in the stream and or even do a monologue where you're just really bearing yourself emotionally, even though it's another character. So these two fears are were they fears for you or were they old hat for you? These two things that you you accomplished. Um, the acting is old hack for me. Um, that that's um, my kind of my go to or my that's what I know. Um, so and I just it's so comfortable and I love doing all that stuff and I love. I love being ugly and fat and skinny and beautiful and I I love showing all that. I don't mind at all. Um, But the writing is pretty personal and that was new because this is my first feature film. So I did feel a bit vulnerable. I still kind of do, but at the same time, it doesn't matter. You just got to let it go. Um, And um, (laughs) 
it is very solitary. It is very, actually, a girlfriend this morning was, um, she's studying and she was like, oh my gosh, sitting by yourself and having to just, you know, have your own self-generating motivation is intense. I'm, I really appreciate your writing, you know, how, how long it takes to write and sit down by yourself to do it. But I really enjoyed that whole, um, I love the joy of the story and I loved, I loved the musicality of it and all of that stuff just kind of kept me going. I wrote a lot of it in America. I was living in New York City. Um, I wrote a lot of it in some of the cafes there on Ninth Street. So, um, yeah, it definitely I, I, I'm not quite in the headspace to write a dark, dark horror. I don't know if I could sit with that. So, um, yeah, I'll probably keep in the vein of a bit of joy because it's easy to sit with. Speaking of sitting with and joy, how cool was it to see Gracie's final cut in this movie? Because the movie on a visual level, just the colors really pop. Were you surprised? Obviously, you're not because you're part of the whole collective, but how great was it to just see all the colors and the, the whole visual aspect of it? So cool. Grace is such an auteur. She's got such a um, El Malvador strict color palette. So um, I I just, I love that. I love that about her. I loved working with her. Um, she had such a good relationship as we all did with Tim Chappell, who's the costume designer and um, Cassie Hanlon, who did, did all of the hair and makeup and wigs and, and set design and everything. So, and Toby Oliver, who did, who's the DOP, um, yeah, there was a lot of discussions on how it was going to look and how to kind of keep the world real but also feel like it was, and this is on the 50 cents we had. I mean, we really had 50 cents um, <laughs> to keep it all um, talking to each other, the two different worlds different, but then also to sort of talking to each other. So, um, yeah, Grace is a great collaborator. A couple of final questions. Uh, you mentioned about living in New York City for a while. I'm assuming, I don't know, maybe you live in Australia. I don't know. I've never been to Australia. If you live there right now and you don't live in New York, and I haven't been into New, I haven't been in New York for over 20 years. Do you miss living in New York, and do you prefer living in, I guess, Australia? I'm assuming. I don't know. Yeah, I'm in um, Bronte in Australia, in Sydney, Australia, um, at the moment. I love New York City. I tell you what, I love. Are you in LA? I'm in. Yeah, I'm in LA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love LA too. LA is a little more like Sydney. Um, oh. I yeah. Yeah. Okay. The weather's a little bit more similar, and um, there's yeah more similarities. But I do love New York City. I just I love walking in the wilderness of humanity. I just I love the differences of people. I find I find it it's actually I find it quite relaxing, which is kind of the opposite of what I guess a lot of people feel because there's so much going around. I can kind of go. Ah, there's lots happening. I can just relax. Whereas sometimes when I'm in Sydney, there's not as much going around happening. And so I'm like, okay, I, I, I almost do the opposite to try and rev up. So I do love New York City. I was there back. Um, I was there back in September. Um, the film screened at a, um, a special screening over there. So I was very grateful to be back. And um, I was a little, there was a little sad, like it's not quite back to where it was before COVID, but um and I stopped by LA. Um, LA's always got a, like a nice charm to it. Uh, however, I've had some kids and it's much easier being back in Sydney with a bit more space. Um, yeah. Crew, final question right off the top of your head. And this is a very tough question. Can, can you name one of your all-time favorite films? And what is it about this specific movie that still resonates with you? Yeah. Um, 
actually, my mum mentioned it to me the other day because I've been talking about it a lot. And she said, who knew that that was going to have such an impact? But Still Magnolia is a movie that really moved me when I was a little kid. I watched that with my mum and I loved Sally Field. She, 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 she makes me laugh, but she makes me, she breaks my heart. I think she's gorgeous. Um, I loved Olympia Dukakis. For some reason, she's just a classic. And Shelley McLean, I was like, those two classic comedy chops. And I, I named one of my daughters Olympia. And um, and also, of course, Dolly Parton. So that movie has had kind of quite a big impact. And, and also, I'm, a, I'm from a family of girls, so I just I know women. I know those connections. And um, I love that Dolly's character has the the venue that brings everybody together. And I guess she's sort of done that for me in my life. Great. Karina, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed your film. Well, thanks so much. Nice to speak to you. One of these days, I will go to Sydney. So, <laughs> Come to, I mean, look, it's a long flight. I, I'd give yeah. you that. But okay. it's, it's a charming, it's a charming city. Do you like the beach? I love the beach and I have friends there. So, yeah. Someone, he lives somewhere in the, this place called the Blue Mountains or something. I don't know where, but I definitely want to. Oh, visit. yeah. Yeah, the Blue so. Mountains. That's really pretty. So that's like into, that's inland. Um, um, you can get a train there. I'll direct you. I'll give you some okay. tips. <laughs> Thank you so much. We really, really enjoyed your film. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey, everyone. It's another week of Cinematics episode 176. I'm joined by Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky, fellow co-hosts of Cinematics. Our buddy Anderson Cowan will be here next week on Cinematics. We have a bunch of stuff to cover this week. Bruce Perky, how, how, what do you think of the – you do the Google Docs every week. You actually put an outline, a very cogent, cohesive outline. And during the week, I just mix and match it. What do you, am I okay? Am I doing a bad job at – rearranging what's what we're supposed to talk about today am i, am uh, I yeah, it new- looks arranged pretty well i, I think it's a, it, i just think it's a work in progress at all times me or the outline which one yes <laughs> <laughs> yes very good bruce that's Perky. what you get that's what you get eric, eric holmes what what are, have we been getting the last week what can listeners of cinematics and our sister brother show find your film get what what can they get if they 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 need like some clothing or something to drink with eric holmes yeah you know you don't want to walk around naked especially if you want to go to the movie theater they uh frown upon that but let's say for example you want to go to a movie theater and you're like i don't have a shirt where do i get a shirt well i'll tell you where you get a shirt you go on findyourfilmpodcast.com and there is a plethora of new cinematics uh, merchandise there. And you can get some for yourself. Um, like a, sh- a shower curtain? Can we get a shower curtain? Are there yes, any? there are now shower curtains. And uh, right now it's just cinematic stuff. Um, horse carts? Down, are there I, horse carts Horse carts available? No, no. Oh, uh, the, the, but there is a beautiful looking new cinematics uh, pint glass, which I'm pretty excited for. Um, How about an American Night shirt with Emil Hirsch and Jeremy Piven? Is that available on our merch site? Find your film podcast.com, Eric Holmes. <laughs> Not yet. Not but yet. I, 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 we just got the we just got the shower curtain. So one one thing at a time. <laughs> <laughs> time. Look, Eric Holmes has been really hard at work. 
with, where he has hoodies, uh, cinematics hoodies, cinematics uh, glassware, some mugs. Where is our find your film merch? Are you is that dead and buried or dead and buried? Bruce, are you burying find your film? You and Eric, are, is it like the vanishing? It's like is that like Kiefer Sutherland in the vanishing? You put the body in in the thing. Spoiler alert! You put the body in the dirt and then forget it. Are we forgetting find your film, Eric Holmes? No, I, we're not. I, I wanted to I wanted to do a week with just because uh, I just did all the cinematic stuff, so I wanted a week with that. But I also had to re redesign all the finder film stuff. And Juan Diego Escobar Alzate did director of Lose a Flower of Evil, the great Thank movie you. Lose a Flower of Evil. He made us a wonderful uh, logo. And you're crazy if you think I'm letting that go to waste. But I just got to redesign stuff. I, I wanted a week with just the cinematic stuff, but the finder film stuff will be up there uh, probably by next week. Very, uh, very good, Eric Holmes. I'm just yeah. I'm and, kidding. And, yeah. There uh, will also be, uh, now that I know how to do it, there will also be a uh, Find Your Film shower curtain. So you can, if you got two showers, one for cinematics, one for Find Your Film, or, or, maybe, or maybe just click through it and look at the shower curtain and go, ah, that's cute. I'm not getting that. And then just move <laughs> another thing. That, that's fine enough, folks. So yeah, th- that's a way to support me, Anderson Cowan, Bruce Perky, and our and our merch king, Eric Holmes. Go to Find Your Film Podcast. Dot com that will be available on our show notes. Bruce Perky, I was thinking last week, I speak too much during these episodes. So what can you give some kind of inner overview of what kind of films are we covering? Are you excited about it? A little bit of a teaser before we head into our features. Yes, I uh, we have quite a quite a variety this week for sure. And uh, I'm even excited about stuff for next week, but we'll save that for the future. But um, yeah, we have a little indie movie called Daughter which you did like two or three interviews. I'm, yes. I'm partway through them, so I haven't made it through all the interviews yet, which I'm upset because I wanted to hear the spoiler stuff at the end, and I didn't get to it yet. So <laughs> I will have to just guess what's happening there. Uh, so we have Daughter, uh, which we'll talk about. We also have Consecration, could be some sort of a religious horror movie with nuns. Right, and I was actually goading you to actually watch it, Bruce. We were going to find out later in the episode if Bruce is holding a grudge or and regrets my actually listening to my advice and watching this movie. Good job getting this under the gun. And, uh, and the outwaters, which I think Eric could speak to because I think he's got a little more inside track on the outwaters. Mm, inside track, Eric, what does Bruce mean by that? I don't yet, but uh, tomorrow I'm going to be interviewing the director, Robbie Banfitch. And what we'll, we'll talk about the, we'll talk about the movie later on in this episode, but it is, it is something else. And I've seen interviews with uh, Robbie Banfitch, and he seems to have a very odd sense of humor. So I think it'll be a fun interview. Oh, you listen! If it messes up, I blame myself. But um, (laughs) don't don't (laughs) look. I've learned. Don't blame yourself, Eric. Blame other people. No, don't hold. Accountability is overrated. That's how you do it. Yeah, accountability is overrated. Look again, as I say every week, I leave all the movie watching to Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky, and when he's here, Anderson Cowan, because I literally don't watch anything. I pretend I'm I'm watching these movies. Bruce, am I doing a good job at pretending I'm watching these movies? Uh, Well. The first job when you're trying to pretend like you're watching movies is not saying that you're pretending watching movies. 
You need to just do it and pretend. I just, I just need got to a Yoda it. that bitch. Oh, can I say that? No, you can say that. No, no, no. I look. Let me just say that. Let me let me just say something. We are an explicit, explicit. explicit. See, I said explicit show. We can say bad words. I will bleep them out because I have a really bad way, controlling way about the podcast. But no, this is a family show. But when like when Eric interviews, what is his name? Ben Ben Witch Ben Fitch. Rob, Robbie Banfitch, you're going to swear tomorrow, right? You're going to swear a little bit, are you? Yeah, I mean, look, if you're listening to an interview with the director of Outwaters, I'm assuming you've seen Outwaters, and if you've seen Outwaters, I think uh, cursing is very tame compared to uh, what will go in front of your eyes during that movie. Speaking of what's going to go in front of our eyes, let's start with our first movie for this week. It's a movie called Consecration. I'm going to read straight from the synopsis because this movie can to some might be considered a muddled mess. Okay. So let me get into the plot synopsis right now. (laughs) Okay. Quote in consecration after the suspicious death of her brother, a priest um, of her brother's a priest. The girl's name is grace played by Jenna Malone. She goes to the Mount savior convent in Scotland to find out what really happened. Once there, Grace uncovers murder, sacrilege, and a disturbing truth about her own past this is consecration it's directed by christopher smith jenna malone she plays i believe a british ophthalmologist because she the movie starts with her checking the eyes of an elderly woman and she has cataracts and she might be losing her sight and then she gets the the the, uh, the news about her brother which is really sad and so she goes to scotland so you're you're thinking she seems like a really nice woman this grace and then the rest of the movie deals with how she deals with the nuns at mount savior convent in scotland as well as the head of the entire i guess diocese played by danny houston who we recently saw in bruce perky i don't i I don't know life upside down i I think i was the only one who liked life upside down so this is the second week in a row or maybe yeah since i I think we did life upside down last week or two weeks ago but danny houston is back within our quote-unquote graces for consecration let's start off with bruce perky i was telling bruce this is a fun movie bruce has seen works from that director christopher smith i thought maybe bruce might be ripe for the picking as far as at least appreciating consecration for what it is or what it could be bruce what is your judgment uh yes i appreciate what it could have been uh i it, it actually started right on the right foot for me which is it's almost classic gothic horror movie you know, you've got, you, you literally have her, her brother's been killed mysteriously at this mysterious extreme convent out in the hinterlands of Scotland. And you see her, you know, driving up and it, it's literally sitting on a cliff and there's, you know, waves crashing and there's mystery and evil maybe, or what? There's a, a one-eyed nun there because I guess she was taking out the offending eye and then working on the second one, but didn't quite get there and stuff like that. So <laughs> it's, it's really setting me up for some pretty great camp. There's a lot of mystery and, and history and all this stuff going on. And Jenna Malone gets there. Oh yeah. She gets there. This is great. She gets there immediately has a vision. She has lots of visions in this so that you can just tell people out the gate on that. She has a vision passes out and wakes up in the convent wearing this frock. It's not a, it's not the full habit, but she's kind of in this very sparse frock, which 
She asks early on, where's my clothes? Get me my clothes, because she's not having any of this. They're like, oh, we're drying them off. Apparently, they never dried them off, because the whole movie, she's wearing the same clothes all the way to the end. But I get, and so this is all the good stuff. I was, I was on board. I'm like, ready to enjoy this. But it just never quite got over the hill for me. I kept waiting for it to get really fun and, and kind of really go a little crazy and just get a little more overheated. At least, just, Bruce, can you yeah. say the movie looks good? Can you at least yeah, say that? Yeah, it does. It okay. looks good. Good actors, good setup, um, interesting out of the gate. I just think that it didn't, for me personally, it didn't quite pay off in a very interesting, it wasn't interesting enough or it wasn't campy enough. Like, what was it recently? <laughs> we saw the um, the Verhoeven movie and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head now. Benedetta. Um, Benedetta. That <laughs> that no knew what to do. It like went there and it went for it. And I was like, okay, I'm on board. This one could have done a lot more. And it had moments. There's a moment where where a, a priest is doing a, a certain thing and a certain thing is hovering above his head. I'm like, yes, that's the kind of things I want to see happen all the way throughout this movie. It doesn't do that enough. So anyway, it was 90, okay. 90 minutes. You said it was okay. Was it at least not a slog? So you're saying- Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a slog. Okay. So you're saying it was okay- Eric yeah. Holmes, I don't know. Was it okay for you? Was it a little bit better than okay? Consecration. I think I'm right in line with uh, Bruce. I mean, unfortunately for this movie, we live in a post-Benedetta world. And <laughs> the whole time I'm watching it, world. Yeah. And I, first of all, I love Jenna Malone. I, I think she's great. And like uh, in Contact, Neon Demon, like the Pretty much everything she show anytime she shows up, I'm like, yeah, I love her. Uh, Danny Houston's awesome. The movie, it, you know, kind of kind of moved along. I will say the ending did the uh, high tension thing, the how tension. I don't want to say a twist, but there's there's a thing that happens at the end where it's like that, and no, that doesn't work. Overall, it's kind of I didn't hate it, but you know, it, it it was fine. But yeah, Benedetta exists, so I I don't know why you would go with this over that. And and that's that's not really fair to this movie, but it's just kind of what it is. Let's. I also picked this consecration this week, this IFC Films movie, because I remember a couple of years ago, me and Eric, we both love that Jenna Malone drama, that indie drama. I think she was really good in it. You're a huge fan, Eric Holmes, of Neon Demon. I I think I speak for you, Bruce. We all appreciate Jenna Malone as an actress. She's very talented, and she's good in this. She actually nails the accent. So, Eric, ultimately. Like Bruce, this is an okay film for you. Christopher Smith, I just realized something. Bruce, did you see one of Smith's previous works? Because that's why that led you. What was the movie of his that you yeah, saw? Triangle. Triangle has got a kind of a big cult following over the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. It's pretty old now. I think it came out in the mid-thousands, if I remember correctly. Triangle is a great uh, underseen gem if you haven't checked that one out. And what makes it an underseen gem from your recollection over a decade ago? Just the plot, the storyline itself or? Yeah, just- it's an early, it's kind of an early version of the time loop kind of idea, but it's done in a very unique way. So you, it's kind of a haunted ghost ship maybe, but there's also a time loop element. And it's, it's one of those movies that far outperforms, you know, the budget and it's, you know, what you would expect from something of that level. And it, it's, it's really, really quite good. So I'm asking you that question. Do you see that director from Triangle? Do you see a waft of that talent here? Yes. With Consecration. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
like I said, when I was the first, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes, I was, I was fully on board. I was like, this is going to go great places and have a lot of fun. It looks cool. It, it has a great setup, but it just didn't quite pay it off for me. You know what's so funny? I just realized Christopher Smith also did this film noir-ish movie back in 2016 that not a lot of people here state in stateside saw, but I really enjoyed it. It's called Detour. And I love the visual style behind Detour. It stood out for me that year. And visually, this movie consecration i was i was on board i had no idea he directed detour for some reason the way christopher smith directs and lenses with his dp movie that's for you anderson cowan the way he lenses his movie the way he it's just completely off kilter for me and i it's off my it was not as off kilter enough for you bruce but i love the the mixture between gothic drama with some really cool split diopter shots. I like the cliff. I, um, Eric, you're talking about the ending. I love the ending, the way it unraveled. I love the bookends of the movie. I was all about consecration. I can watch this movie so many times. And I'm, I have a feeling this movie will get a share of mixed reviews, but I am completely on board with consecration. Bruce and Eric, you're not completely on board. Let's start with you, Eric Holmes, for your rating of consecration. I'd, I'd probably go three stars on this. It, it's not, it's not a bad movie. It, it's just, uh, it's just, unfortunately it lives in a post Benedetta world, but if you've watched the hell out of Benedetta and you're like, I need more kind of in this wheelhouse consecration might scratch a niche that you have. Okay. Okay. So that's three stars. Mild recommendation from Eric Holmes, Bruce, your rating. I will probably go two and a half. Two and a half, almost a recommend from Bruce, but it's two and a half, just a little bit. He did not fully consecrate consecration. <laughs> Guess what? Two and a half. Is that my rating? No, it's not. My rating for consecration, which is exclusively in theaters, only in theaters, February 10th. I give it four and a half stars. I love consecration. <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to tell everyone to see this movie. Okay. And they, they may yell at me and they say, I, they might say, I might, I should have listened to Bruce and Eric about consecration and not Greg because he's an idiot, but four and a half stars for consecration. And look, no strings attached. I didn't interview Jenna Malone or Christopher Smith. Then and wait, Bruce, did I see this movie or not? Am I just lying through my teeth right now? What do you mean you're lying through your teeth? Why? <laughs> I always joke about, it. I, I don't see movies. I did see consecration though. I love this movie so much. Now let's go to movies that I did not see, which is a once a once or twice a week thing. There's a movie called The Outwaters. It starts, it's in select theaters in the US and Canada starting February 9th. Eric Holmes has the interview with the director tomorrow. Eric, what can you tell us about The Outwaters? So we uh we reviewed um Skinamarink, and it's very much a uh you know a tone thing. This feels like it's on the same same kind of wavelength as Skin of Marink, but like on the different side of it, if if that makes any sense whatsoever. Where like Skin of Marink has like nothing happened, it's all about mood. This one definitely goes for a mood. Um uh, I I don't know what would you call it, like just insanity. But it's it's like the I I, I don't know. That there's similar DNA between the two movies and I can't quite put my finger on it. But basically what it is is it starts off as a uh uh, typical found footage movie. Um, and I, I would say like the first half goes on a little too long, but it sort of works because it lulls you into the, uh, oh, this is a found footage movie I've seen a hundred times until the screaming blood snakes show up. 
<laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, Eric, you said you're saying it goes on a little too long. Was it you felt it was going on a little too long, but then it made sense because of it? It gives you that sort of fake, and then like now you're that kind of thing. I, it, the 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 beginning just goes on too long, and, and I've noticed that with the movies just recently. Like some okay, sometimes like you'll watch a movie, and I I've always wanted. I thought of this recently, like doing this for like test audiences, like, Hey, we got this new movie. We're going to play for a a test audience. We're going to just chop off the first 20 minutes and just play the rest of the movie and just see what they think. Just as an experiment. I think with like 90% of the movie, the audience will watch the movie sans that first 20 minutes and they'll just pick up and go along with it. So then what you got to do is, well, clearly we don't need that first 20 minutes, but we got to, you know, we got to begin it somehow. So maybe we'll chop that up. This kind of where I think uh, Skin and Marine goes a bit too long, kind of towards the tail end, because this kind of maintains a similar thing. I wish this would have got to the insanity a lot quicker. That said, when it got there, I was already kind of, oh, I know what this movie is. I've seen this movie a thousand times. And then it gets weird, and then I, yeah, it 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 goes places, and I was kind of there for it. However, also like Skin and Marink, there are going to be people that watch this, and even when it gets to the ins- insane part at the end, there are going to be people that hate the living crap out of this movie. Okay, and so I totally, and I totally understand. I just disagree. Oh, you disagree? Who will hate this movie? Will I hate this movie, or will I dislike this movie? What kind of found footage people? People who don't, I, you know. Well, no. So, uh, people that like found footage, I'll probably like the first half because the first half's pretty much uh, by the numbers found footage. It's the last half where it starts taking chances. Are you? Do you like 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 the fact that it took chances? Did you like the chances it took? Yeah, but I, I don't think that people are gonna like the chances that the swings that it took not just with the insanity but the way they shot it because like a lot of it is all you see is where the you know the at night the guy's got the uh, flashlight so you only see where the flashlight points and flashlight takes up a very small bit of screen Mm -hmm. but then when it starts showing stuff and then as it goes on you start seeing more and more and more it it just kind of just like skin marink you got to be locked into what it's serving and if you're not into it you're not going to like it okay wow that's interesting locked in bruce were you locked into the outwaters i think my experience was very very similar to eric's and i also have the same warnings to people like i've seen people posting that skin and rink is the worst movie they've ever seen the worst theater going experience they've ever had stuff like that so if you're in that camp you probably aren't going to love this one either although definitely more happens and that is demonstrably true i don't know if saying the word right but you know um yeah so i had a similar experience i feel like the first half also is too long i think that all of the things that are in there are important but they all could be maybe condensed a little bit to still give us that same flavor, but do it in maybe 20 minutes instead of, I don't know, 45 or however long it is. Um, that being said, the first part also is surprisingly very, very traditional, which is kind of cool based on where it goes at the end. In other words, what I mean is it's almost to a T like the beginning of something like uh, Cannibal Holocaust or the Blair Witch Project, where you literally have, these people have gone missing and we found their tapes and here's what we found and what happened to them. And now we're going to watch the tapes and find out what happened to them. That's like like the most traditional found footage setup you can possibly have. And I think I like that because then 
like, like Eric says, when it becomes screaming blood snakes, <laughs> um, it kind of upends your expectations because you think, well, I know where this is going and it, you really don't. How do you describe the second half, whether you'd like it or not? It's kind of like, you know, the extended, the extended trippy space odyssey sequence in 2001. Well, if you take, oh, yeah. took, if you took that, but instead it was a hellscape of bad acid trip hellscape that may or may not involve actual terrible stuff happening that you will see some of that might kind of give you a flavor of it. I, I see Eric wanting to chomp in there. Go ahead for it, Eric. There is dong in this movie. There is not always attached to a person. <laughs> yes, that's true. So like, you mean ding dong, right? Family show. Ding dong. Family show. That's where, came from. Um, That's where we all came from. But but yeah, I mean, like Eric, I was on board for for both types of dong, um, and I also I also really want to commend. Um, there's some really interesting stuff visually going on here, but I want to really commend the sound. Yes, that they did here is really cool, and even in the opening uh, segments that we all we both kind of agree could be maybe condensed or trimmed or something. There are audio clues of things going awry in there too. And there is some wraparound to that stuff in the early part too, but the audio stuff gets really, really cool and interesting um, in the second half as well. If you're down for that. So once again, headphones advised. I I would also add that the, uh, uh, the sound, especially in the first half, it just sounds like bad sound, but it's not, But, but that bad sound as it gets more insane kind of turns into basically the main character just going insane. It, it almost like it almost goes from like oh this this sounds like this sounds like crap until it doesn't anymore and now it becomes yep. part of the movie. Oh, and what last little note: the weird motif of donkeys continues. Oh yeah, oh, yeah it does. Oh, right, donkeys. Yes, that what was EO? Right, was EO one of your favorites? Well, there's EO. There's the um, Banshees of Inisherin, and now this movie has donkeys. Would you expect donkeys in this? I didn't, but they're there. No. <laughs> okay, so that is. The Outwaters, let's go for ratings. Bruce Perky, what is your rating on The Outwaters? This is a three-star banger. I don't think this can be anything else, but, well, I mean, obviously you could say this is a four or five-star for you, uh, but I think three-star banger, once again, because it is what it is. We're on the wavelength, you're on for it, um, and it achieves that, but it's definitely not going to be for lots of people. But it was for me. What about you, Eric Holmes? Yeah, I, I really want to go like four and a half, five stars just because it, it, it kind of takes the idea of found footage and kind of it, it kind of kicks it up a notch. It's like we're at this level now. We're we're doing this with found footage now. And I really appreciate that. But the whole point of three star banger is I love it. There are going to be people that absolutely hate this movie. So I think it kind of lives in three star banger. But that's not a bad thing either. I, I hate saying this, but I'm going to say this anyway. Do you guys have a guess on where does a coin flip? Will more people appreciate that waters or will more people just dislike it and say, why did I, you make me see this? I think a lot of people, and I, I don't know, cause I'm really terrible at uh, predicting these things, but my guess would be a lot of people will hate this. And then you fast forward 15 years from now. And this will be like, this will be the movie that changed found footage. Like the, the, mm-hmm. People, hopefully, I, I don't know, but hopefully people will watch Outwaters and look back on it and go, oh, that was the one, that was the movie that came out where everyone started kind of aping it a little bit and brought on this new wave of found footage. Because quite honestly, since Blair Witch, there's Capture Kill release, that's a good one, but 
found footage for the most part isn't a really progressive genre. It's just kind of stayed in the muck since Blair Witch came out. And I think this is the only one, at least the only one that comes to mind that kind of uh, stepped it up a bit and tried something different. Okay. All right. That is four and a half or five for you, Eric. What are you going to give it? Oh, no. Oh, no. We're, we're three. Star oh, three. Banger. My bad. Yeah. Three star banging for both it, of you. But yeah, yeah, I, I'm back, saying back, in the thought, future, people are going to look back on it and go, five stars. Why didn't they give this five stars? It's like, I don't think we're ready for it yet, but I'm glad it's here now. Every single week, there's a movie or two that I don't see and I regret it. I need to go back on the Google Doc, Bruce Perky, and look at all of the really great films that you and Eric have been reviewing for the past several years of the of cinematics as well as find your film okay so that is the outwaters look my bad is it just playing in theaters or what's the release for this is it just a, a theatrical release eric holmes go ahead uh, and vamp for me for a second i believe i, I believe it is i believe it is because i've right. been watching so he <laughs> he's on twitter the the director He's not on Facebook, but his mom is on Facebook, and she is hyping the heck out of this movie for okay. her son. And so, <laughs> this is all, between all of her mom posts, she's also doing posts about the, how awesome this movie is. It looks like they're screening it around various art house. So you know, the uh, the director actually has a YouTube page, and yes. I I don't know if it's his mom or his grandma, but there's uh, there's some videos that he has of him interviewing his grandma, like uh, like just asking her like, "What do you think this is?" It'll, like bring up something sexual, like a Oh geez, I I don't even remember. But I'll just make up like a what, yeah. what, what what's the sexual thing that we can say that this is a family show? Oh, he'll bring up some sexual term, and then you're watching, going ah ha ha, and then she's like trying to figure, figure out it out. It okay. Yeah, so so he he seems to be uh have a pretty good relationship with his family, and his YouTube channel is every bit as insane as uh this movie is, and kind of funny. Cool. Yeah, I do not I think have the time. What we have here, it's it's playing oh. in select. Hey, yes. Yeah, playing in select theaters beginning February 9th, including New York, uh, Los Angeles, Austin, Boston, Calgary, Chicago, Cleveland, Dallas, select theaters. And then there's like a whole list of a bunch of theaters. I would say check it out. Go into the theater, watch a matinee, and then go back in later and just watch everyone else watch this movie. And if you, you know the 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 ball's gonna drop, the ball's gonna drop, the dong's gonna drop, the ball's <laughs> gonna drop, the street three star banger's gonna bang. Anderson Cowan coined the term three star banger again. Used use the term. He didn't coin it. I think the, I think Eric Holmes coined the three star banger term. Am I correct on that, Eric Holmes? No, nah, I'm pretty sure Anderson came up with that. Oh, you can't. You, let's credit Anderson Cowan for that. Anderson is the the creator of all good things on this on this planet. Uh, and I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. But hey, if Anderson Cowan uses it for the film vault we use it here we use three star banger on cinematics and might as well buy the shirt as well after watching the right the outwaters which you can find on finderfilmpodcast.com what is the what does the shirt say i'm a three star banger is that Mm -hmm. what it says i'm a a three star (laughs) i I, I need (laughs) i need to make another shirt that says yo pete drop that beat and i gotta have them maybe get a lab picture of pete like dropping a beat or i, I don't know <laughs> yo pete drop that beat That's I, awesome. I have no idea what that would look like but it seems like it'd make a good shirt we'll see speaking of things we're wondering how it's gonna look like if it's if this movie works our third and final feature feature review this week is a movie called daughter it's on digital and on demand february 10th Family is the most important thing in this life. 
I don't want to hurt you. Do you understand? I need your help with something. <laughs> the diseases out there don't play by the rules in here, son. There are no rules out there. There's a couple things you need to understand. Everything I do, I do to protect that boy. Smile. You don't have to be afraid of us. Just let me go. Mother thinks you'll be here a while. It fills me with joy to know that our family is whole again. Welcome back, daughter. I want these last few years to be special. I am very close to this project because as an Asian American, it, it was great to see three Vietnamese American actors play prominent roles in this movie. That said, I really enjoyed it as a slow burn indie genre thriller written and directed by Corey Deshaun. He's a black filmmaker. So there's a lot of POC representation in this movie, which is great. But I think for most importantly, this movie for me works. It centers on a young woman played by Vivian No. She's kidnapped by this really controlling and mean man played by Starship Troopers' Casper Van Dien. He indoctrinates her, him, her, he indoctrinates a woman, the young woman into the family. He calls her daughter and her job is to serve mother and father. The mother is played by Elise Din and the brother is Ian Alexander. So ultimately, this movie is about these four people living in this home out in the middle of the boondocks, out in the mountains, and it's how they work as this atomic family unit. Obviously, things are not very well. They're very surreal because she was she was basically kidnapped and forced to live with this family. That is the premise of Daughter. It's a very nerve-wracking, slow-burn thriller that worked for me again from Dark Star Pictures, the distributor of one of my favorite films from last year. Missing and both Eric and Bruce love missing as well. It's 95 minutes, it's a thriller. Let's start off with Bruce Perky. Your thoughts on Daughter? Yeah, this movie starts out really effectively, and I think people who are making independent movies, especially thrillers, could kind of take a you know page from this. Like starting out with this kind of pre title little mini sequence where uh, son and father are chasing down unknown women. We don't really know the setup at this point, chasing her down in a truck. They both have masks on. You're like, what's going on? Like like those ventilator type masks, like you're out in a, I don't know, toxic waste dump or a hazmat situation. And they, you know, hunt her down and then beat her to death with a hammer. And you're like, oh, okay, something's going on here. Whoa, holy mackerel. And then you uh, cut to, after the, the credits come on, you cut to daughter, new daughter, <laughs> daughter number who knows what uh chained to the concrete floor in the garage and you're like okay i see what we're in setup's all really promising and it's pretty interesting and then we get to kind of discover kind of the parameters of this relationship and what you have to be to be a quote good daughter good good son good wife He's definitely got roles for everybody, very nuclear family, 50s, Judeo-Christian expectations for everybody there. In fact, you get to find out about his, I guess it's his own personal cult, really. 
It's kind of like he's got yeah. his own personal cult in his house is kind of what it is, where he's taken scriptures, but he's kind of adapted them, kind of made them his own to make it fit his purposes. And all of that stuff was okay. Once again, I'm going to okay again. Um, right. it's a, it was a little bit generic for me. Like I've seen a lots of versions of those things. And what became a little frustrating to me in the movie, although it was still, once again, this, like we talked about with um, the uh, consecration, I wasn't bored in this movie. I was definitely invested and interested. All of the most interesting stuff to me was kind of sidelined or not followed up on. And that made it a little frustrating for me. I wanted to know, like, I wanted to know how long has this been going on? I wanted to know, like, a little more of the history. I wanted to know, what is he telling him is going on outside to keep him going? He, we got hints of it, which I like, but I wanted even more of that. There's a whole thing with blood. I'm going to leave it kind of vague. There's a thing with blood. And I might have missed it, but I never got an explanation for that. Maybe you asked that. Director I, about I, that? I was gonna say I I think the uh, I think the movie itself was pretty vague about the whole yeah. blood thing, but I mean I I was interested in that. Is there a reason that's happening? And if there is, what the heck is it? You know, I, so I guess all of the things that were most interesting to me were kind of sidelined or not fully fleshed out for me, and all the stuff that was kind of a little more I've seen it before was left in the foreground. So it, it just never once again never quite blossomed for me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of the barrier to entry for daughter is a lot of questions are left unanswered. It seems to me like more of this thriller is more like a morality play on how people are going to act under certain circumstances, mother, daughter, brother, sister, all that stuff. My mother, father, daughter, son, they each have their own hidden motivations regarding the family. And a lot of this stuff is vague in the movie. So that might be a barrier to entry to some, but I don't know. I, I really like some of the unanswered questions like the blood that Bruce mentioned. Eric, your take on daughter. Uh, I actually like this one uh, quite a bit I, after I got the Pearl Jam song, like once it, <laughs> once that left, <laughs> it was like, it was like, uh, you can call me daughter. And she's like, don't call me daughter, not fish. <laughs> but uh, no, th- this one was pretty good. It had kind of, Oddly enough, it had Brigsby Bear vibes, or maybe like Ten Cloverfield Lane. It was that sort of thing. Like, uh, we're 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 here. We can't go outside. And if you go outside, there. And meanwhile, uh, uh, was it Vivian? No, yeah, no, Vivian. No, um, she actually everyone's great in this. Even Casper Van Dien, because usually he's in like the since Starship Troopers. And I should probably look up his IMDb. I can do that right now. But he seems to have been relegated to uh, like direct a direct a video kind of yeah. you mm-hmm. know not great stuff. But he's all he's always been good in the stuff that he's been in, and so it was neat to see him in a movie that I think uh, kind of. Kind of stretches on a bit. Oh, who was in uh Clove Hitch Killer? Um, that was Dylan McDermott. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Okay, so it, it was kind of like seeing Dylan McDermott in Clove Hitch Killer. It's like, wow, he can do this. I, it was kind of I kind of felt the same about Casper yeah. Mandine in this. He's good. Um, and it there was a bunch of unanswered questions for sure, but for me, it wasn't like a like a J.J. Abrams un, unanswered question. Like J.J. Abrams has a way of uh, asking a question like, ooh, who is Snoke? And then you say, I don't know, who is Snoke? And then he says, well, we'll just move past that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, what what is this smoke monster? I don't know. What is this smoke monster? 
well, let's go to the next episode and not even talk about it. <laughs> like the, the, this one has like stuff that they don't answer, but it kind of, uh, it, it doesn't answer it, but it kind of sort of does because it just, it just kind of adds to the patina of the movie or yes. the patina of the, the, the world it's building. Yeah. And you know, with, like, like the whole issue with the blood, they don't, as far as I remember anyway, they don't really explain it. Like Casper Van Dien's character, the father explains it to brother, but you can't believe the thing father says. Right. So it, it's, it, it's almost like a MacGuffin in a way. But yeah, I, I, I just like the style of it and just kind of the world. It, I, however claustrophobic the world is, I just kind of really dug on what it was building. And Corey Deshaun in his interview, he said he used, they shot it on 16 millimeter and he was using a camera package from the 1990s to get this movie done. It, this movie was shot in, I think, 2019. Right before COVID, and then now four years later, it's finally making its release. Sorry, Eric, go ahead. That actually reminded me, and I, I meant to bring this up, and I almost forgot until you just said that. The beginning of this movie, Corey Deshaun must have watched Kill Bill and Death Proof a bunch of times because I got huge Tarantino vibes at the very beginning of this. By the way, get that out of your head because this is not like a Tarantino movie. It's not like the same, but like a lot of the shots early on uh, reminded me a lot of those. But yeah, yeah, this was this was a good one. I liked it, and it didn't quite answer all the questions, but it just kind of it just kind of uh, painted the world for me, and I really appreciate it in that regard. Very cool. So that is daughter in theaters, digital and on demand. February tenth will be on DVD. May 9th via Dark Star Pictures. Bruce Perky, your rating on daughter? Uh, I'm probably two and a half on this one too. Two and a half from Bruce Perky. I am giving this movie four out of five stars. Definitely a strong recommend for me. Eric Holmes, what is your rating? I'm going to four-star Greg this one as well. Four-star Greg for daughter of two, two four-stars, me and Eric, and then Bruce gives it two and a half stars. That means for- Bruce is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. No, You know what? Who's wrong? Is it Bruce or Eric or Greg? Check out daughter and yeah. tell us if, if it's a worthy investment or not because again if it's not playing at your local theater digital and on demand we will have the links etc cetera, etc cetera. dark star pictures again i am all behind this distributor after last year's awesome film missing aka what eric holmes aka saga su saga su we all love oh saga. yes by sir. the way finally got around to uh, uh ryan smith got the uh, saga su blu-ray Finally sent it out today. So, Ryan, if you're listening, you should be getting that anytime soon. And when you do and you watch it, hit me up and then yeah. we should talk about it. Right. And, Ryan, if you don't put it up on eBay and you actually watch the movie, tell us what you think of Sagasu, a.k.a. Missing. So let's go to our recommends right now. Bruce and Eric, they saw Knock at the Cabin. We all know what it's about. It's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. They come into because it's the trailer. They come in and they say uh, invade the cabin of two uh, gay dads and their was it da- Bruce daughter or son daughter? adopted daughter adopted daughter yeah and they tell him hey world's gonna be ending if you don't uh sacrifice one of one of you guys I believe that's the premise of knock at the cabin from M night Shyamalan Bruce and Eric what, what do you guys want to say about this movie you want to go first Bruce uh, I, first. I, okay I love the hell out of this movie so much and for for a bunch of reasons uh one Okay, so old came out. I saw old like a couple months ago, and I liked it. But what what really frustrated me with old 
was M Night Shyamalan did M Night Shyamalan things is he's uh same same thing I mentioned with J.J. Abrams you know as that that's not fair because M Night Shyamalan pays it off that's the whole point of a twist but he leans on the twist and but they get to the end of old and then you see what everything's about and they they pull the twist on you I'm like okay that's a cool twist now what happens this knock at the cabin I don't know if it's a spoiler to say. I think it's kind of the biggest selling point of this because M. Night Shyamalan's actually engaging in the ideas put forth on this. This movie, to me, it feels like a book in the Bible set in modern day. A lot of people look back and they think of the Bible. It's like, oh, this is about morals. This is about uh, how to live a good life. But I mean, you read uh, Abraham and Isaac, it's like, how, how's that good morals? Go kill your go kill your child because uh, some invisible person told you to. Like, why is that a good thing to do? Um, Knock at the cabin is kind of a similar situation where, uh, you know, they get the uh, four, you know, not so subtle four horsemen of the apocalypse coming to this cabin, and uh, you have to one of you has to kill another one of you, sacrifice you, and then it'll stop the apocalypse. They think they're crazy. And one of the four horsemen killed themselves. And then they look at the TV and see like a giant tsunami kills a bunch of people. And they're like, wow, that's happened a long time ago. And then it happens again. And then the, the next thing they show is like, oh, well, maybe there's something to this. And to, to the point where it's like, okay, whatever. Um, but it's a pretty, pretty disgusting story. The fact that deity would hold that uh put that much uh pain and torture on the world if you read the bible the whole noah's ark thing you know that this is exactly that that sort of story again i just kind of liked where where this went this isn't a happy movie and if you think it was a happy ending uh, or or maybe i'm reading too much into it i don't think this is supposed to be a happy movie and i should also point out because i'm just flubbing right through this but a uh, movie bears podcast they covered this uh, movie just the other day, and uh, William Lindis actually read the book this is based on. And so there's, uh, they changed the ending from the book. Uh, they changed the ending a little bit in the movie, and the book kind of leans more into the idea of. Uh, I better not talk about that. Just li- listen to the uh, Movie Bears podcast after you've watched the movie because they get into spoilers, and it they they kind of go into what the what the book goes into matching with this but uh it, at the end of the day i really like this and i really liked what it said even though i don't know if it meant to do that but i think it did bruce knock at the cabin uh, that, that's tier. as vague as i can be without giving anything away cool bruce top tier m night or lower tier middle mid i would say it's one of his better ones for me because i mean a lot of his are mid to lower i think a number one he didn't write this so I think he needs to be more of a director of genre pieces and not a writer of genre pieces because he's directing is where his strength is, I think. And a lot of people notice that about his dialogue. I thought it was a really solid movie. I liked it. I don't think I liked it quite as much as Eric, but I liked it quite a bit. It's like a very, very solid, I don't know, Twilight Zone Not is not quite the right way to describe it. But, you know, high concept followed through cleanly and in a really um, focused way. And I think that was a lot of fun. And my kid liked it even more than I did. So that's also a good, I guess, barometer. My oldest son went and saw it. And he thought it was really, really good. So it's it's good to see a movie like this, a genre movie like this, that's actually trying to deal with ideas, whether you agree with them or not. It, it's kind of fun to see that. Very cool. That is Knock at the Cabin, the latest film from M. Night Shyamalan. 
Eric Holmes, your rating on it. Yeah, this is M. Night Shyamalan not leaning on the twist and instead engaging with the actual ideas that the movie has to offer. This is probably one of my favorites of his. I go four and a half on this. I almost want to lean five, but I'll go four and a half. Four and a half from Eric Holmes. Four. Really interesting movie. Knock at the cabin. Bruce Perky, your rating. I'll probably go three and a half on this one. Three and a half. I mean, that's actually Bruce Perky and his relationship to M. Night. That's like saying a five-star banger for <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan for Bruce Perky. But anyways, let's go with a three and a half from Bruce Perky. That means it is a solid recommend. So it's worth watching, I guess, in theaters. And I believe Dave Bautista, I hear, is really good in this movie. He well. is good. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't even mention that. Dave Bautista yeah, is awesome. Right? Between yeah. between this and uh, and Glass Onion and Drax, mm-hmm. like Dave Bautista, he's kind of he's killing it. Like not not only the movies he's been in have been good, but he's like a you know a pro wrestler could actually be a good actor. Like yes. you know, the, the rocks a, the rocks a rock star. He's a superstar. But Dave Bautista is like I, if Dave Bautista in the future if he ends up winning an Oscar, I'm not going to be surprised at this point. He, he yeah. just keep he just keeps getting better and better. And one of the gay dads is played by Jonathan Groff and. Jonathan Groff was in that Netflix series. What is it called? I think Mindhunter. I wish yes. that show would still go on. Why is that show not uh, existing anymore? I am so because pissed. it was on Netflix. Uh, Netflix is like, hey, the, hey, you like this show? Yeah, yeah, I do. Cool. We're not doing it anymore. <laughs> oh, by the way, Netflix, we love you. Please send us. Keep on sending us those screening links. We love you. We love you. But I mean, Eric, Eric Holmes, you have a good point. You have a very good point. They 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 did get they did give us trial of Chicago Seven and hold the dark. Yeah, just don't watch the TV series until get, it's done. And, until and then because otherwise then, you're you're gonna break your heart. Yeah, it's one of these things where all these. That's why I I do not want to watch TV shows because you never know when they're gonna end or if they're gonna actually end and, correctly. And it, if you think of it, like uh, think of all, think of every TV show you've ever seen. Well, first of all, think think of every movie you've seen. How many great endings to movies can you think of? Like uh, right. uh, Fight, Fight Club, uh, we'll go with him. Night Shyamalan, Six Sense is a really great ending. Yeah. Um. How how many great TV show endings are there? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Seinfeld. There, there's one. The Shield, oh, and that's pretty shield. much it. Oh yeah, I hear the sirens. Love it. Love the ending of the Shield. We're not ending yet because we have another movie recommendation, I guess, because Bruce is craving for baby <laughs> blood. Let me guess. It's about a pregnant woman. The fetus wants some blood. It might be a creature. Is it a baby? It's not a cute baby. Not like Claire or Anderson's Atticus. These, those are what cute babies when they were. They did not crave blood from the fetus. Bruce, why are you so excited? This is excited a about cute this baby. How do you know this baby's not cute? You don't know. This is, why are you judging its eating habits? Come baby on, baby blood. Yeah, I, I see your the the background. It's all red. I, it's not. It doesn't look jello. It just looks like blood. It looks like baby blood. It's a French horror well, film directed and co-written by Alain or Alan Robach, starring Manuel Escorou or something, and John Francois Galot. Bruce, take it away. You and Eric saw this. And if you watch the American dub, the voice of the baby is Gary Oldman. So How is he as a baby? Does he do a good job? <laughs> yes. Uh, and I, I actually watched the French version, and it's interesting to watch because the difference is kind of striking. Er, Gary Oldman's version is much creepier and more sinister. The French version is sometimes creepy and sinister and sometimes kind of goofy, but I don't mind that. So you talk about these crime movies, these kind of certain kind of movies that you love that it's just kind of your thing. This movie is that for me. This is a movie I can't believe I never saw before. It came out in 1990. This should be one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's not because I'd never seen it before. Uh, and I finally uh, 
rectified that and watched this. And this actually came out of the box. I don't know if you remember this. This came out of the box about a year and a half ago, and it wasn't easily findable. Now it's a little more easily findable. You can get it on Canopy, Shutter, AMC Plus. So basic concept, like kind of you kind of described it, but you have um, uh, Yanka, who is Emmanuel uh, Escaru. Um, Yanka is kind of working in this little French circus. She's getting beat around by her boyfriend, circus runner guy. Take note. All the guys are absolute jerks in this movie. Terrible people. Uh, but a lot of them meet terrible ends, which is great. Uh, but anyway, she's getting beat around and, and abused by this guy. They get a new leopard on the in the circus. Very quickly, the leopard explodes. And uh, <laughs> this worm-like creature decides to take, um, take up uh, habitation inside of poor uh, Yanka. And then that there goes the movie. And I know that Eric said he hated the first part of this. I don't know why I didn't hate the first part of this either, but uh, we'll hear what he says. But uh, where it really takes off is as you start to go, uh, you know, two months ahead and then three months ahead and then four months ahead, it becomes almost these vignettes where you find out that she has, like you said, this baby inside of her, maybe human, maybe creature, you're not sure at first, uh, that talks to her. Uh, sometimes it threatens her. Sometimes it just talks to her like a friend, but it needs blood. This movie goes from weird to pretty bloody to very, very bloody and very, very over the top to by the time you're at the end of this movie, it's it's almost like uh, early Sam Raimi or early P- Peter Jackson or something. It gets crazy and I love it so much. Places it goes are really odd. You can't see what's behind me. You probably don't know what's behind me, but that's a very, very great scene where it, it goes places you just aren't expecting. Once again, if you're into any kind of crazy cult horror, you have to check this movie out and see it for yourself. And I don't know if this is considered the beginning of French Extremity, but it should be considered the beginning of French Extremity because there is a lot, a lot, a lot of blood in this. And it it rivals movies like Inside and some of those other movies, the amount of bloodletting you get. But this is a little more cartoonish. And a little more, quote, fun, I will say. <laughs> but anyway, Eric, take it away. So in Outsiders, it starts off as a typical typical found footage movie and wasn't really doing it for me until the screaming blood snakes show up. And Baby Blood, it started off as, uh, okay, it's, a, it's like a throwback to the 70s. It apparently came out. I, I thought it came out like this year, but that, that wasn't the case. But I thought it was definitely looked much older than the 90s. But it just didn't seem to be going anywhere, and I wasn't really feeling it until the uh, sexy blood snake showed up. <laughs> And then, and then that started getting weird. And uh, yeah, she started getting impregnated with uh, what whatever this alien thing is inside of her. It has a lot of uh, it has a lot of similar DNA to like uh, if Miss Forty Five had a sexy blood snake, but it was a trauma movie. That's kind of where this movie is. <laughs> or um, basket case, maybe or something. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that is that the one with the the baby and there the okay. Yeah, there, there you go. If you like Basket Case, check out Baby Blood because it's kind of on the on the same level. Yeah, the the first I'd say first third of this was like I, I was about to check out, and then once it started really going for it and getting weird, then I started kind of uh, leaning into it more and uh, watching the the relationship between her and the baby inside of her. Watching her like first of all the the whole idea of what this baby is, she's gonna give birth to it. 
but it wants her to give birth to it near the ocean so it can go in the ocean and stay there for five billion years so it can is that right so it can, yeah so it can like take oh, over the the universe the world <laughs> yeah so so it's like the danger that's coming isn't even imminent like eventually it, her giving birth to it's rather imminent the horrors that this thing is going to unleash it on the world is going to slowly trickle out <laughs> over like billions of years and it's like this is such the weirdest set of stakes I've ever seen in my entire life. And I don't even really know how to describe it. But yeah, as much as I hated this movie, like right off the jump, as it went on, it just got more and more ridiculous and kind of brilliant in certain ways. Yeah, that, this was a good one. It also looks really good. Yeah, yeah. So that is that is baby blood, which I don't know if in this life I'm going to ever watch. But if Bruce really loves it so much, I have a feeling he's going to give it a five star banger. What is your rating on baby blood? Oh, I'm going to go four and a half stars for right now. But if I watch it with the Gary Oldman cut, it might go up to five stars. And <laughs> I, I have a pitch. This should be something that Anderson and Brian should watch on their live stream. Oh, oh yes. Anderson, <laughs> if you're listening, baby blood. Because baby blood. just hearing them react to this would be amazing. All right, and, yeah. and, and, and if you watch it, do not tell. In fact, don't even tell Brian what you're watching. Just spring it on him. Go, <laughs> what, what are we watching? Don't worry about it. We got a thing. Just, just deal with it. <laughs> so, Eric, what is your rating on Baby Blood? I don't want to go three-star banger, but I don't think this qualifies because this is a very, like, I think people know what this is going in. Okay. I, I You know what? I, I don't know. I don't he's, know. He's, I, he's I, I, I'm torn between, like, one star and five stars, so I'll, I'll just split the difference and go four. Um, that that'll be three stars. One five plus one is is six. Yeah, but it's got six divided by two. So that gets an extra. It's star got blood snakes. So you're out. gonna give it four stars. Four stars for baby blood. Four and a half stars for baby blood for Bruce Perky. Uh, before we do our, we're we're done with our recommends. Finally, we're doing our box movie. And yo, Pete, it's my turn to say, rock that. No, drop that beat. Remove your hand from the box, and you die. It's in the box. Pain. The notorious landlady, Kim Novak, who else is in it? Suggested by Brian O'Connell. Bruce, what is this movie? Uh, it is also got Jack Lemmon. Can't miss, get a miss. And Fred Astaire. Um, <laughs> so oh, it's some pretty... Um, my own family. Yeah, yeah never... <laughs> Pretty famous people there, you know, a little bit. Yeah. And it's so 1962. By, yeah, directed by Richard. How do you pronounce that guy's name? Quine or Quinn? Quine, Quinn, Quine, Quinn. Yeah, he did. Uh, he did a TV movie of Catch Twenty Two with. Uh, was it Richard Dreyfuss was in that? Okay, cool. And so written by Blake Edwards, who did Experiment in Terror. He did the Pink Panther movies. Yeah, that that's cool. He uh, wrote and I believe he directed. I should look this up so I don't pull. No, you're right. He did. Blake Edwards directed Experiment in Terror. Yeah. Have you seen that? No, I've not seen it yet. It's with Greg, watch Experiment in Terror. Yeah, you, yeah. It, it, it's total Greg movie, which means you're going to watch it and come back and say, Eric, I hated it. But Experiment in Terror is freaking awesome. And it's also co-written by Larry Gelbart, the creator of MASH. Take it away, Bruce. Oh, okay. So this movie starts. Uh, so it's in England. And it starts out and you have a bunch of people in this little neighborhood. And they hear a gunshot. You're like, oh my gosh. And then someone up in an upstairs window, they're all looking out their windows. They In an upstairs window, they see some feet get dragged away. And then cut forward, some amount of time has happened. And Jack Lemmon is this uh, diplomat. He's a 
ambassador and diplomat, I guess, state states department, U.S. State Department, but he's working in a brand new job in England. He's looking for a place to stay. He sees a room for rent in this house, which is the house that uh, Kim Novak lives in, but he doesn't know that she is, quote, the notorious landlady because... Everyone thinks she killed her husband. Her husband's been missing. They think that the the gunshot was her and that she got away with it. And she was even a celebrity in all the tabloids for quite a while. But of course, Jack Lemmon doesn't know this. So anyway, oh, and he's told right off the the bat, his boss is uh, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire says, you know, when you're here, be in the straight and narrow, don't get in any trouble. We don't want you to embarrass us. You just, we just want a good worker here. And that's kind of the setup. And of course, he go, goes off and immediately he's going to be with this most notorious woman ever. He doesn't know this. Uh, and then that's, that's the basis, the kind of setup of this movie. And what happens is this kind of odd about this movie is it, it starts out as kind of a standard what, early 60s, late 50s, kind of a romantic comedy where there's like, you know, there's hints of stuff that's kind of sexual, but in that very tame way that you get in those movies of that era. And it almost feels like a seven-year itch or one of those kind of things, right? Where he's going to be kind of living in scandal with this woman, but he's really into her. And what's going to happen? What kind of shenanigans are going to go on? Then it becomes a mystery. You know, who's been killing who and who's been doing what? And Fred Astaire gets involved as well. And then finally, it becomes weirdly slapstick in the final act. Really, really slapstick in a way that you would never suspect. And I really want to hear Eric's take on that. Like, it becomes like... I mean, like a mad, mad world level of slapstick at the end of this movie. And it's really odd. And I kind of dug it. Uh, Yeah, this is a a trifle of a movie. It's it's not going to make any awards. It's not going to blow your socks off, as you'd say. But uh, you could do a lot worse than watch this movie. What do you think, Eric? I would disagree. um, My socks were like (laughs) blown. (laughs) I watched this. This is kind of what I love about Gremlins because it it does a it does a family film well, does a the horror well, does the comedy well, it does the the drama well. Like it, it's the notorious landlady has almost every genre just kind of lumped in it. You know, it's got the murder mystery, it's got the slapstick comedy, it's got the romance. It's got a courtroom drama. It's got oh yeah, the, I thought of you. It's got a police procedural. <laughs> like this is like every. It's like hey, uh, what 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 genre is going to be? And then uh, Blake Edwards said yes, and they're like okay, whatever, <laughs> and we'll, and we'll just go for it. I, but all the genres it kind of hits. It it kind of kind of nails most of them. Uh, the the courtroom drama got a little kangaroo court, but you know what? Whatever. Not everything can be twelve angry men. But this this was fun as hell to watch, and it just kind of it just kind of kept pushing and pulling. Like this is like a full meal of a movie, and I absolutely whoa a full uh, meal. And wow. uh, Lionel Jeffries is Inspector Oliphant, the the uh, the Scotland Yard guy. I didn't know who that guy was, but he was freaking awesome. Kim Novak. I mean, obviously, Kim yeah. Novak's awesome. Jack Lemon's awesome. Fred Astaire, Omaha native, represent. Yeah. Does Fred Astaire dance I, in this movie? Does he no, dance? No. no? Well, no well he kind of dances around the issues sometimes. But no, this uh, this movie just kind of... Oh, in the, 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 the place that it's set at, I thought it was like the same set they used for Hill Valley. That's not the case, but it did look a lot like uh, Hill Valley, like the place where it's set at. And another thing this movie does well, and this probably has a lot to do with direction, is the shots they set up. 
I'm going to use the term action, but it's not action in the way that you're thinking. Like the camera's pointing here and someone's going there. And then as soon as the camera sets, like someone's like, they have this thing like choreographed so well. In fact, maybe that has something to do with Fred Astaire being in it because like the camera's like moving. And then as soon as it hits there, like the person waiting there on cue is like walking or like a car is driving and they're following the car. Like everything in this is just dialed in so well. I kind of want to watch it and like point out parts go, look, you see that? Rewind it. Look, look at that scene again. Look, look what they did there. That's so good. But yeah, so the, that means you want to see the movie again. I mean, that you wouldn't mind watching the movie again. Oh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll watch this any day. Okay, so Bruce was mentioning about the mis- the combination of so many different, I, I guess, tones in, throughout the narrative. Yeah. Did you find that to to be seen? Did you like it because it went here and there and here and there? I mean, Gremlins is my favorite movie ever, so I love stuff like that. (laughs) This is like right. This is so far up my alley. And then they put in a courtroom scene towards the end. I'm like, you guys, you're cheating. These are cheat codes you're using on me right now. Yeah. So a couple of tweets. I looked the Notorious Landlady up on Twitter and Kate Gabriel. I don't know how to say Gabrielle. She said, quote, she tweeted, I read somewhere that Jack Lemon didn't like the notorious landlady and thought it was too hard to follow the plot. Well, Bruce Jack going- Lemon's got pretty bad taste in movies, even though he's in a <laughs> bunch of good ones, apparently. Okay. And then she said, but it's one of my favorites. I think it's so underrated. Okay. On that note, my goodness, I'm surprised. I think I should watch this movie. Bruce Berkey, you're rating on the notorious landlady. Um, You should watch this movie and you should watch it with your mom. I bet your mom would love this movie if she hasn't already seen it. For sure, um, Bruce, I would give. Bruce, a, don't talk about my mom like that. This you're getting too personal on the uh, show now. I, you know, I'll I'll just give her a call. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got this. Uh, this is, and you can tell her that Bruce said it's a three star banger. Three star banger from Bruce Perky. Okay, that's very good. We are plugging our Finder film and Cinematics merch. I'm a three star banger that in the Cinematics universe. We got to figure out a catchphrase on Finder film. Maybe it's like. I'm out of here. Okay. Someone who's not out of here is Eric Holmes, other notorious landlady. What the heck is your rating on this movie? This is a five-star banger for me. And uh and is <laughs> is uh as much as I love Jack Lemon. How dare you upstage me? Th- this, this is like top episode. tier Jack Lemon for me. Top tier Jack Lemon. And that and that's saying something because he's been in some awesome movies. This is like this is like top shelf. Like you got you got oh, what uh Glengarry Glenn Ross. You got the China Syndrome, and mm-hmm. now you got the Notorious Landlady. The, this like up there. You forget the apartment. You know the apartment. There's the yeah apartment. The, the apartment. I mean, there's a shortcuts. Dude, the scene in shortcuts where he's talking about where he uh, cheated on his uh, on on his wife, his uh, son's like that. That scene. I was like, dude, Jack Lemmon's been in so many good things. The odd couple. Name of it. The, the Irma Deuce. I know. Uh, Greg, we talked about yeah, Irma Deuce. We saw that as a box I, movie I, too. I, I love. I love that one. Um, but, but you would put it, Notorious right up there along those great Lemon films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this one, this one's great. I love this movie. Wow! Could you so you could see it over and over again? One of these kind of movies. Yeah, is it better than The Apartment? I th- I think so. And and I love The Apartment. I would watch this over The Apartment. Okay, hot take, Holmes. Can you please <laughs> stop hot taking? <laughs> I don't think it's a hot take. I think it's the 
perfect amount of tape. That is not a hot take. This is like a burn the burn scorched earth, burn the world take. The notorious landlady suggested, I believe, Bruce Berkey, if you're if I'm not mistaken, by Brian O'Connell. You you were making Brian O'Connell a very happy man, Eric Holmes. If you have any suggestions as far as for Eric and Bruce to watch on Bruce's What's in the Box segment, how can they reach you, Bruce? Uh, well, you can always go to Facebook. That's easy. And just uh, post to me there or message me there. But you can also just uh, write to me at Bruce Perky at Gmail. Pretty simple. Okay, pretty simple with that. I thought I was going to upstage everybody by giving four and a half stars to Concentra- Consecration, a movie that I love. But here out of the blue comes a hot take. Holmes take on the t- notorious landlady. That's very I'm I'm actually very interested to see this movie. Who knows? It might. That is Eric. This, uh, this is your top film of the week. The Notorious Landlady. You know this? I mean, technically, yeah, I suppose, but we got some three-star bangers in there, which... That's true. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's three-star that, that, bangers. That, that's, a good, that's a cool thing about three-star bangers. It's like, oh, it's a three-star movie? No, it's not. I, I just not lo- say it's a three-star movie. I said it's three-star banger. That adds a little more prestige to it, I think. A little extra stink to it. It's not just a three-star movie. It's a three-star banger, which is pretty sweet. Bruce, what's better, a five-star banger or a three-star banger in your estimation? Oh, yeah, I did say five-star banger, didn't I? Yeah, okay. <laughs> you got me. It depends on your mood, though. It depends on what you're looking for. That's like, you true. know, it's like saying going and getting a, a fine, like, you know, dinner at a five-star or whatever, like Michelin restaurant or whatever. Or sometimes you don't want that. Sometimes you want the best cheeseburger in the world. I love cheeseburgers. Okay, we're going to leave right now. Before we leave, there's something. Oh, wait, we're not going to do in the box because so there's something in the box. And w- Bruce... I'm screwing up the segment. How, it's how supposed do to I... be what's in Anderson's box, which I should ask. What's in Anderson's box? I should ask Pete to make a sounder for that. What's in what? Anderson's box? Peter Beta from middle class film class. Please make an, an Anderson Cowan drop. Por favor. Yo, okay. Pete, slither that beat. <laughs> wow. Well, wow. Look at what we got here. I believe we have a volunteer. Anderson. Do you have any idea what you're doing? What's in the box? Blockbuster production with a devilishly unpredictable plot. I regret it already. Yo, Pete, baby blood, that beat. Okay, Bruce Perky. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot. Okay. I, I, I do not endorse any of that. <laughs> okay, you will endorse this, Bruce Perky. What is in Anderson's box? I will tell you right now. I forgot. No, I did not forget. It's called Turtles can fly or turtles Ooh, will i have fly. not seen that i heard him talk about that oh, okay Tur- yes. i think it's turtles will fly i think that's that's the movie that's what it's called i i believe look turtles I'm, can't fly turtles, turtles will fly. fly turtles i uh, turtles are peter beta's favorite pet i i don't know but it's let me look at it right now turtles can fly turtles can fly that's for next week that'll be what's in anderson cowan's box next week for cinematics excellent. that is it yes excellent thank you bruce perky thank you the notorious eric holmes for that wonderful take on the landlady final thoughts from eric holmes yes uh, uh we talked about project wolf hunting it yes. hits digital blu-ray and dvd on february 14th so go check that out if you want to see the bloodiest movie that came out in the last couple of years is it was it bloodier than baby blood uh well it doesn't have any Pregnations that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> Is it more notorious than the notorious landlady, Eric Holmes? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay, great, great plug for Project Wolf Hunting. Final thoughts, of course, as always, Bruce Berkey. Well, I just have to say, 
This is a very strange year in movies because we have two running and competing trends. Screaming blood snakes and donkeys. Thoughts to go by. We'll see you guys here next week on Cinemax.